Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today, from our epistle lesson, the words of Paul to the young pastor Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is our text. So I had my annual physical on Friday. The good news is I'm pretty healthy. The bad news is I'm not as healthy as I could be if I were just more disciplined in two specific areas, if I ate less and exercised more. Now, partly because I knew the physical was coming up, and and partly because I do this at the start of every new year, I actually had already been watching a little bit anyway what I eat and how much, and and I'd been a little more faithful in in getting to uh, diversified uh, for a workout. We'll just see how long I can keep that up. That's pretty typical, isn't it? We all know that we should do things that are good for us, and for the most part, we know exactly what those things are. Getting ourselves to do them? Well, that's another story entirely. What motivates physical disciplines? Well, it could be any of a number of things. It, It could be a health scare that gets us on the right path. It could be the desire to participate in an activity with, uh, with one of our kids or, or grandkids, or, or maybe it's just wanting to have more energy and vitality. Whatever it is, health professionals tell us, we need to find something to motivate us because nobody can do these things for us. Well, certainly we'd all agree that physical disciplines are important. St. Paul tells us that spiritual disciplines are even more important when he says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. So what motivates spiritual disciplines? Again, it could be any of a number of things. It could be purely gratitude to God for his grace in our lives. It could be a desire to set an example for someone else, or maybe wanting to experience greater peace in our lives. But like doing things to care for ourselves physically, we can be pretty uneven in our approach to spiritual disciplines. I get that, and uh, I'm not going to beat up myself or anybody else here because of it. And yet I do think it's important for us to remind ourselves that nobody can do this for us. It's up to us to set our priorities and to uh, stick with them. Now we can help each other with that, and we should, and we do. That's one of the main reasons a Christian congregation is organized. It's certainly the main reason that our congregation is in the middle of of the Believe Bible study, because that's an opportunity for each of us to to build up the habit of of spiritual disciplines. It just so happens that that this week the chapter is about Bible study. And we can think of that in in various ways. 
We can study the Bible all by ourselves as, as we read it and meditate on it. We can, we can study the Bible with a, with a group of other people as we discuss it. We're studying the Bible right now in a more structured way. But the question behind all of that is, why? Why study God's Word? Well, here's one reason. A recent national poll asked this question, where do you look for guidance on right and wrong? Now, the polling company kept track of how specific respondents from specific Christian denominations and also non-Christians, how they responded, and one of the groups that they kept tabs on was the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. That's us. And out of that little subgroup, the two top answers to where do you look for guidance for right and wrong were religion and common sense. Now, if this was only to Christians, I think they would have said the Bible instead of religion, but religion and common sense. The percentages of people who gave those two answers, well, 41% of Lutheran Church Missouri Synod folks said religion and 45% said common sense. So common sense beat out the Bible as the place where Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod people go to get direction on what is right and what is wrong. How does that happen? I know exactly how it happens. It comes from not knowing and not totally trusting the Word of God. Well, there's so much information out there that we have to to sort out fact from fiction and opinion from objective reporting. And then we have to determine which of those facts actually make any difference in our lives. And it's a very natural thing to turn to our common sense to figure that out. Well, especially these days, the idea that there's a source outside of ourselves by which we measure everything else, one single source of absolute truth like, say, the Bible, Well, no, that's hard to accept. Unless you've been in the Bible. Unless you've been studying that word of life. To know it and to trust it. And we're not there yet. We know it, but not perfectly. And and we trust it, but not completely. And if you doubt that, just think back over this past week to any of the days when you decided that you knew better what was right for you than something that you read or heard from God's word. We didn't trust, you didn't trust it at that time to be speaking to you and telling you what you should be doing. So let's think about it this way. And now we're, we're going to be spending much more attention, paying attention to the sermon outline. It's, hopefully you have a half sheet insert in your service folder. And if so, uh, please pull that out. I think it'll be helpful for you as we, as we continue with the message. Because what I want to say, and, and uh, 
And I hope you agree with this. If the Bible is not God's word, well, you know, then really we don't need to pay attention to anything in it. But if the Bible is God's word, and really we would say since the Bible is God's word, we need to pay attention to everything in it. That's what Luke, the writer of Acts, was complimenting the Berean. We don't hear a whole lot about them, but the Berean Christians. They were more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica because the Berean Christians were searching the scriptures every day to find out if what Paul and Silas had been saying was true. According to our text, the Bible is the word of life because God has breathed life into it. And I especially like the way the ESV, the English Standard Version, handles a word in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 that isn't easy to translate directly into English. That's when it says that all Scripture is, now here's the, the, the term, is breathed out by God. So just as God breathed life into Adam at creation, so he has breathed life into the Scriptures and through them into us. And how often do you need to breathe? Constantly. How often then do we need to breathe in the life-giving air from God's Word? Constantly. All the time. The inclination to trust our own ability to figure things out, to count on our common sense, is strong and constant. Let's not ignore the words of Jesus. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And in our gospel reading today, Jesus compared those who build their, their house on sand with those who build it on the rock. And that's really what the sermon outline is doing too. And it works out a lot better uh, on the page because we can put it side by side on the screens. We can uh, put some additional words. Uh, so hopefully you'll be looking through both of those. But, but I'm using the word common sense because that was in the poll. But actually that's the sand that Jesus talks about in the gospel lesson. And we're comparing and contrasting that with what God's word tells us. We're doing this in two very broad, about two very broad categories. One is, is how to receive eternal life, and the other is how to live our earthly life. So when it comes to how to receive eternal life, common sense wants you to know that you get nothing for nothing. If it sounds too good to be true, what? It is. Unless you read it in the scriptures, God's word tells us the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's something that's free. The best thing is free. Eternal life in Christ Jesus. Common sense tells us you have to earn God's love. Romans 5, 8 says not only do you not have to earn God's love, you cannot earn God's love. As St. Paul tells us there, God shows his love, we haven't earned it, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Common sense 
tells us not only do you have to earn God's love, you can do it because you aren't that bad. There's worse sinners out there, and, and maybe also in here. God's word says, don't you believe it? None is righteous, not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become, what's the word? Worthless. That sounds pretty bad to me. Altogether they have become worthless. Who does good? No one. Not even one, not when you're, when you're comparing it to the perfect law of God. Common sense tells us that there are many paths to God. We hear that a lot, don't we? And, and it's got a certain appeal. I mean, we want to be inclusive. We certainly don't want to sound arrogant. But you know what? There is no one more inclusive than God. Did you listen when Pastor Hoseman uh, read the absolution? God tells us in his word that he wants all people, not, not, leaving, not leaving out anybody, he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And he's provided a way for that to happen through Jesus. And so we listen to Jesus when he says, there's a way. And then he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you're thinking, I already know that, and I absolutely believe it, then pat yourself on the back, but not too hard. That means you've allowed God's word to work in your heart, or, or more precisely, the Holy Spirit has worked that miracle in you. But don't get cocky. Satan is relentless. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So we need to constantly be on guard. We also have to recognize something else. We've been talking about how to uh, achieve, or I meant to say receive there actually, um, how to receive uh, eternal life. And we're, we're pretty happy to hear about that, aren't we? Especially when we're told that God doesn't demand anything of us in order to receive eternal. That's a very comforting thing to hear, and who doesn't like to be comforted? But the second part of this little chart in the sermon outline is more challenging than it is comforting because it talks about how to live our earthly life. And, and now we're talking about real life, aren't we? And, and it's, it's tough enough out there without tying one hand behind our backs by, uh, by going along with all this religious stuff about, about how we're supposed to live. And don't tell me that isn't you. I know better. I think I understand it, but I don't accept it in myself or in you, and I hope you won't accept it either. So let's look at how common sense, or trying to build on sand, how that compares with God's word. Common sense tells us that in order uh, to live our earthly life, you've, you've got to look out for yourself. Now, now, current events have made this point more clearly than I ever could. Every time I saw a story about Powerball mania and how many people were, were, were going to make it big and what they were going to do with that money to make their lives easier. Common sense says you have to look out for yourself. 
God's word says just the opposite. He doesn't say uh, in Philippians 2 that you shouldn't look out for yourself. You just don't look out for yourself only. Look also to the interests of others. And actually in Philippians 2, Paul even goes further and says to put others' needs ahead of our own. Common sense says you've got to look out for yourself because that's the only way to get ahead. In a very remarkable statement, Jesus says just the opposite. He says, whoever would be great, or want to get ahead, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Common sense says you've got to look out for yourself because nobody else will. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there. St. Paul says, not in here, now he's talking in ideal terms, but that's a good way to talk, isn't it? As he encourages us to bear one another's burdens. Common sense says it's survival of the fittest. You have to be strong. And in his Sermon on the Mount, especially the first part of it in the Beatitudes, Jesus says something else entirely. I'll read just two of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You don't have to look out for yourself. God's looking out for us, and when we're doing it right, we are looking out for one another. The last thing there, common sense says, well, you have to determine what's right for you. God's word tells us that's already been determined for us. Our text again, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correcting, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. We have another current event coming up this week that, uh, that demonstrates that difference. Friday, this coming Friday, marks the 43rd anniversary of the Supreme Court decision that said that constitutionally a woman's right to privacy includes the right to abortion. That's maybe what common sense would say. Maybe not, you know, as you study this. It, well, anyway, the Word of God speaks very clearly against the idea that, that we get to determine what's right when it comes to deciding whether or not to end a pregnancy that doesn't uh, threaten the mother's life or to prematurely end the life of, of someone who's very old and very sick or, or maybe not so old or not so sick. The word of life instructs us to protect the weak and to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. It teaches us that, that all human life is of tremendous value to God and therefore also to God's people. The word of life teaches that. The word of life teaches us. And it touches us with God's grace and his guidance. And that's why we study it. So we can live it. Amen.
and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.